All right, welcome to the Make America Garrett Again podcast, your cure for the mainstream media. This show is your safe space to talk about persuasion, politics, and the effect they have on your life and liberty. Welcome back for another episode. This is the first episode we've done since our last episode, which was right before the election, which was called Why I Kissed Voting Goodbye. And that was one of my favorite episodes that we've done so far and got a lot of new listeners. We're able to bring a lot of new people in who were interested to hear kind of what we thought about the 2020 presidential election. And right now it is, it is three weeks after that. And I apologize that it's taken me so long to get this episode out. To be completely honest with you, that has been the one struggle that I've had in all this podcast. The one complaint that I've gotten from a lot of you is you need to get more episodes out. You need to get things out more regularly. And that is something I'm working on. I've got something mental going on. I don't know what it is. I don't know if you would call it like depression or anxiety or what exactly the the diagnosis would be, but it is a a big struggle for me just to sit down and sit still long enough to get all of my thoughts out at one time. And so... I'm constantly thinking about the show. I'm constantly thinking about you as the audience and what kind of things that I can bring to you and what kind of information I can bring to you to share with you about the things that are going on in politics right now. But just the act of sitting down and recording is way more difficult than it should be. And I apologize for that. And I promise you, I'm trying to work through it, trying to figure out exactly what it is uh, so that I can attack it and I can do better at it. Now, I've also got a job change coming up here soon. Maybe that will free me up mentally a little bit more to concentrate and focus and do a good job on this show. But thank you so much for sticking with me. Thank you so much for continuing to come back and listen. Numbers continue to grow, even with this irregular schedule. And the best thing you can do uh, is just hit that subscribe button. Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast so that we pop up whenever a new episode does release. And uh, sooner or later, you know, hopefully I get my crap together and I'm on a regular schedule and you can expect me the same day of the week every week. But uh, until then, thank you for bearing with me. Thank you for listening. And I promise to do my best to make it worth your while every time we do get an episode episode out. So with this episode, it is Thursday, November 19th, 2020, and we are three weeks past the 2020 election between the incumbent president, Donald Trump, and his challenger, Joe Biden, and their challenger, Kanye West. And it would appear at this point that Joe Biden has probably won the election. Uh, He has almost certainly won the popular vote, And then when it comes to the electoral college vote, which is the one that really matters, no matter what anybody else tries to tell you, that it seems that Joe Biden has also secured the 270 votes that he needed to win the electoral college as well. And there toward the end, it came down pretty close. There were several states that were a little bit slow getting their ballots in and wanted to, you know, count their ballots a little bit slower, do some double checking, triple checking, whatever it was that they wanted to do. And um, those states, uh, if I remember right, just there was Nevada, there was, I think, Minnesota and Michigan and Pennsylvania and North Carolina and Georgia. And all of those were very tight races. They were very close. And if Donald Trump could have won all or most of those, then that would have been enough for him to secure the 270 votes that he needed to win the Electoral College. But as it turned out, Joe Biden ended up winning several or all of those. I can't remember exactly which. But the concern was that in several of these states, we saw things that looked a little bit fishy and looked like maybe the election had been fraudulent. And we talked about this in the 
Why I Kiss Voting Goodbye episode, um, that it is possible, certainly, that with mail-in ballots, that someone else could send your vote in for you. And I had mentioned in that episode that I thought that it was possible that there would be some voter fraud, but I didn't necessarily think that it was going to be possible on a scale that could actually change the election. But what we saw in this election, because social media is more popular and more powerful than ever, everybody's got a cell phone in their pocket, everybody can record things and, and talk about things that they see and share that information. And so what we found in this election, maybe more than any other election that we've ever had in history, um, there were a lot of things that just didn't add up and just didn't quite seem right. And one of the things that we had talked about before the election ever started was that both sides were already primed to not accept the results if they were the losers. And that's not just a feature of where we are in America today. That's a feature of democracy, period. When my guy wins the vote, when he wins the election, well, that's fair. We took a vote and fair is fair and you need to go home and deal with it and maybe try again a little bit harder next time. But if your guy wins, then I will list all the reasons why this election was illegitimate and your candidate is illegitimate and it does not count and I will not comply and I will not recognize him or her as the winner. And that's exactly what we saw. And we had the, the media priming both sides to do the same thing. We had, you know, we still had the, you know, constant mumbles from the media about was, was Russia or anybody else trying to interfere in our elections to keep Donald Trump in office. And then you've got Donald Trump himself tweeting that he's afraid that the Democrats are going to cheat to steal the election. But then when the election actually happens, of course, we're keeping our eyes open for those things more than ever. And a lot of things did seem really, really fishy. And now where we are is it would appear that Joe Biden has won. Like I said, and it looks like he secured the Electoral College votes and he's got the popular vote by quite a bit. But Donald Trump has filed several lawsuits to have the votes recounted, to have a bunch of votes thrown out. Uh, we've had several different accusations that people have noted of what looks to be cheating on the elections. And for whatever reason, it all seems to be kind of coming from the Democrat side. And so when I look at the people who listen to this show, I've got people listening from the left and the right, but my audience does tend to lean a little bit more to the right. And what I'm hearing is a lot more of these accusations that the election was stolen from Donald Trump. And you can call this a coup. You can call this a fraudulent election. You can say that it was stolen, whatever it was, however you want to word it. And however concerned you are about that may vary, but it definitely was no secret that there were plenty of people in the deep state, in the government, in the es establishment, however you want to define that, you know, from the corporate media and all of that, that absolutely wanted Trump gone. They absolutely wanted to see him leave. And if you believe what some of the more progressive people, what, what some of the more radical people believe, which is that he is Hitler reincarnated, then as Thaddeus Russell pointed out, you would be right to cheat to get him out of office because, you know, if we had the chance to go back in time and stop Hitler, well, of course we would do that by any means that were necessary, you know, and there's always the, the, the question about, you know, would you go back and kill Hitler as a baby or whatever? And if you could go back and steal the election from Hitler, then, you know, maybe you would be right to do that even if you did cheat and you bent the rules a little bit. And so, I think that we need to understand from one point that if these people really do believe what they're saying, which most of the time I don't think that they do believe it, that it would be right for them. It would be noble for them to go in and steal the election. But as, as I've tweeted before, I've probably said it on here as well, Donald Trump is not Hitler. Donald Trump is Nixon. Uh, he is not great. Uh, he is not the most mentally competent guy out there. He is not the most principled guy. 
But he's also, he's not Hitler. He's not Mussolini. He's not any of those guys. But what I wanted to do in this episode was to maybe just pump the brakes just a little bit. And uh, as I said before, I'm not a big election guy. I don't spend a whole lot of mental time or energy focusing on elections or how they work or how the vote counting works or anything like that. Ultimately, I just don't think elections are the best way to decide things. I don't think that my rights are up for a vote, and I also don't think that there's anybody in Washington or anybody on my state legislature or anything like that that represents me, that truly believes in the same things that I believe in. If there is no one to represent me, and I don't believe that my rights are up for a vote, then I'm not interested in that process, and I'm not interested in playing those games, and you can hear me talk a little bit more about that in the last episode, but... I did want to look to someone who was more familiar with elections. And so uh, I looked to Chris Spangle uh, from the We Are Libertarians podcast. I disagree with him on a lot of policy. I disagree with him on a lot of theory. There are plenty of places where he is just not my favorite type of person when it comes to politics, but he is somebody who's had a lot of experience with elections. I think he worked on um, election campaigns with the Republican Party, and then he's definitely worked on campaigns with the Libertarian Party. And so when you're working on those campaigns, you have to know how the elections work. You have to know how the votes are counted. You have to know how all of these things happen so that you can, you know, hopefully give your candidate the, their best chance to win those votes and to secure as many as possible so that they get the job and everybody gets paid and gets power and all of those wonderful things that go along with government. So what I want to do here is, uh, again, not to say that you're crazy, not to say that this election wasn't stolen, but just to kind of go through some of the things that he talked about and point out some of the reasons why uh, it's certainly possible that this was a legitimate election. Again, not trying to tell you one way or the other. You may have your beliefs, and, and you're free to continue believing that. Again, I don't know for sure, and I don't particularly care because I can see bright spots of whether or not Donald Trump won or Joe Biden won, whichever one won, I'm going to be okay either way. And I'm going to sleep just fine at night knowing that I am in control of my life and not some bureaucrat in Washington. Uh, the first thing I wanted to point out was that a lot of these things, a lot of these rumors were spread around on social media. And something that I tweeted at the time was we have more information available to us now than ever. You can record things, you can type what you see and share it with other people, you can share pictures and videos, whatever it is, we have better access to that now than ever. And in this election, because we have access to those things, when we see something strange happen or we see something that we don't understand, we're able to share it with more people. And as we've talked about, since everybody was already bracing themselves for the other side to cheat, they were ready to, to be receptive to those things and to view those things as definite evidence of cheating. And what I would like to just push back and say is that maybe elections have always been this way. Maybe we don't understand how the votes are counted. Maybe we don't understand exactly how all of those processes work. So maybe some things are going to look funny to us and it's just never occurred to us before because no one's brought it to our attention. And... I think that that's something that's really, really important because if we've never paid attention to something before, we've never had the access to pay attention to it before, we may not know what the normal looks like. If you work at a place and somebody tells you that one of your coworkers is stealing money out of the cash register and suddenly you start looking at them, you may be noticing all kinds of weird things or, or, or strange things that they do that you never noticed before. And it may be certain signs that they're trying to steal money from the cash register and get rich off of it, or it could just mean that people do weird things sometimes, or that this person has always done this thing, and you just never paid attention to it before because you never paid that close attention to them. So 
Again, I don't know for sure. I don't particularly care, but I do want to pump the brakes on just a little bit of this talk about a fraudulent election, a soft coup, whatever you want to call it, and go through some of the reasons that Chris explained as to why the elections may have looked the way that it looked and why some of these things looked fishy. And then I want to talk a little bit about a Joe Biden presidency and why if and when Joe Biden takes office, uh, we're going to be okay and why we have reasons to be optimistic as we move into the Biden administration, the Biden-Harris administration, I guess. So one of the th- first things that Chris Spangle mentioned, as I mentioned before, is that it is kind of hard to commit mass voter fraud and get away with it. You've got to be sure that you are cheating votes and cheating ballots of people that are not going to go and try to vote themselves. And so that's going to be difficult. Also, these elections in most places, maybe all places, are run by each county. So if you are trying to cheat in an election, you may be able to get your candidate to win in your county. But regardless of how your county votes, that's probably not going to make a big difference in the grand scheme of things as to whether or not Joe Biden or Donald Trump even win your state, let alone win the entire election for the whole country. Of course, you could argue, you know, maybe in bigger cities, you may be able to swing it one way or the other, but still, even in the big city, you're going to be fighting against the votes of everybody else in the state and that kind of thing. So that's going to be harder to do. And so that means that you would have to get more and more counties to work together to cheat, to form some kind of systematic fraud. And when you bring more people into it, it becomes much more difficult to cheat because you've got a lot more people to get on board. You've got a lot more people who could talk, uh, a lot more people who could spy on you and rat you out if that were the case. And so by splitting up the centralization of where ballots are collected and counted to so many different places, we have sort of a form of federalism. We have sort of the form in the same way that we talked about. If things are done at the state level, they can be done so much better and so much more efficient, and we can see what works in one place and what doesn't work in another. And if somebody makes a really bad decision in one state, well, that's okay. The other 49 states may be just fine because they didn't make the same mistake. But if you do everything from a central planning standpoint, from the top down, and then somebody screws up, It's going to mess it up for everybody. So when you apply the same logic to elections, you don't just have one election to rig. You have dozens and dozens of counties in every single state that you would have to try to manipulate those elections to read and to say what you want. Not to say it's impossible, just to say that it's incredibly difficult, and the bigger scale that you do it on, the more chance you have to mess it up or to get caught. So that would be in favor of relatively fair elections. Uh, The other thing I guess to keep in mind with all of this is that right now we're accusing the Democrats of cheating and rigging the elections, but if it were possible and it were easy enough to do, then the Republicans would be trying to do it also. And had Donald Trump come out ahead in this, we may be having the exact same conversation, the exact same podcast uh, about whether or not the Republicans cheated. But it is important to note that if one side can cheat, the other side can cheat too. So all of these things could go for either side. One of the other things that we would see a lot of times is that Donald Trump would come out ahead in the initial counts, and as more votes were collected, Joe Biden would magnificently come from behind over and over again and overtake Donald Trump in a lot of these states. And that looked awfully fishy. I saw several memes and several jokes about them pulling up with trucks of Democrat-filled ballots so that they could you know, have these emergency Biden ballots to bring them from behind when they could see that Trump was winning. And why is it so fishy? Why is Joe Biden always coming from behind when it looks clear in the beginning that Donald Trump is winning? Well, in any close election, 
you are going to have the Republicans coming out ahead early. Why is that? That's because when you go out into the rural counties, away from the cities where populations are less dense, there are less people, there are less votes to count, people are going to tend to be more Republican and more conservative in those counties. So it's going to be less people. They're probably going to lean more to the right, more to the red, and they're going to put in the Republican votes, and it's not going to take long to get those votes counted because there just aren't as many of them. When you move in toward the cities, when you move to these big counties that that hold the biggest cities in the states, then it's going to take longer to tabulate those votes because there are so many more people that have voted. At the same time, we also know that almost always, as you move to bigger cities, people become more progressive. People move further to the left, and that's just kind of a feature of living close to a lot of people and and kind of the way a lot of those things work. You could also talk about colleges and education, but for, for whatever reason, we know that cities are more blue and the counties out in the rural areas are more red. So as it takes longer to count those votes, you are going to have more Biden votes piling up in those cities that are going to be submitted at a later time. And it is quite possible that the city holds more people than all of those rural red counties around it. So common sense would say that the the Republicans are going to jump out to an early lead and that the Democrats are going to make big jumps coming from behind to catch up with them. Chris also mentioned in his podcast that one of the graphs that they show where, where the, the ballots come in and you see this big straight up jump for Joe Biden where it looks like he just goes straight up you know, to pass Donald Trump and then the lines kind of continue on the same trajectory. Um, what he said was that one point where Joe Biden jumped ahead was, was zoomed in and manipulated to make it look bigger and make it look much more defined. And then all of the rest of those little jumps as the counties came in were sort of smoothed over to make it the one big jump stick out more. But what he said is if you look at any of those graphs the correct way and if they're not manipulated, you're going to see all kinds of jumps for both sides because that's how it works. When the, the counties turn in their votes, obviously they're going to be turning in a lot of votes for Trump and a lot of votes for Biden. And, and a lot of those places, one or the other is going to vastly outweigh the other side because you know plenty of places are very, very red or very, very blue. So you're going to see big jumps for both sides. And that's probably what happened there. So one of the other things that we've seen when they went in to count the votes is that they put pizza boxes up over the windows. They put curtains up. They put all these kind of things up so that people with cameras couldn't get in to see them counting the votes. And so that would be an obvious sign that they are trying to cheat somehow. You know, what are they doing back there? What's going on? You know, obviously that means they're cheating. Well, the truth is, as Spangle pointed out, that the voting process is a private process and you go into a private voting booth so that no one knows how you voted. And so when you get into these situations where people are trying to bring cameras in, it is very possible that they could see some of the names on that ballot, that the privacy of the voters could be compromised. And obviously they're not able to put a lock or anything on what the media puts out because there there is a freedom of press there. And so if they were to on purpose or accidentally release pictures or video with someone's actual ballot on it and you could see how that person voted, you can see how that would be a problem. So uh, the way I understand it, most of these places, if you have the proper credentials, if you fill out things ahead of time and they make sure that you understand the rules and that you know, you're not able to go in with a camera or anything like that, a lot of people are able to go in and watch those votes being counted, uh, but you just can't just barge in there with a news camera and expect them to let you see whatever you want to see. 
And so once again, those are things that we would have considered fishy, but we never really thought about it before. And also you didn't have independent journalists either, you know, who were able to go in with their own cameras and try to do things like this. Um, one of the other things that uh, Spangle pointed out was that more people vote at the top of the ballot. So there are a lot of people who are going into this election who want to vote for Joe Biden or Donald Trump as their president, and they may not be informed or may not care at all about anybody who's below that top spot. And so what happens a lot of times is people vote the most at the top of the ballot. And as you move further and further down the ballot from the president to your senator, to your congressman, to your state senator and state congressman, to the local judges, people start to vote less because they don't know who any of those guys at the bottom are. So I don't know who I'm going to vote for. I just won't vote. And so typically what happens is you look at the same county or the same ballots or whatever, there will be a lot higher vote counts for the president than there will be for, you know, your local judge or your treasurer or magistrate or whatever it is. And what Spangle pointed out was that there were some places where the Republican congressman actually got more votes than Donald Trump. So what that would show, at least in those areas, is that people were still Republican. They were still conservative. They still wanted to have the Republican Party in power, but they weren't happy with the things that Donald Trump was doing. And they weren't happy with the way he was doing things. And you've seen several, you know, conservative groups like the Lincoln Project and some of these other places who say, yes, we're Republicans, but we are all in favor of Joe Biden because we want a return to normalcy or, you know, a return to the, the old boys club or whatever you want to call it. There are plenty of conservatives also who are not uh, fans of Donald Trump. So it is very possible also that there were also just Republicans that turned on Donald Trump in this. And one of the other things that Spangle pointed out was the House of Representatives remained Democrat. They held their Democrat majority and the Senate held a Republican majority. And I believe the Republicans actually picked up some more power in Congress, if I remember correctly. So if you were cheating to have your Democrat president installed, why on earth would you fill out those ballots in a way that hamstrings him from the beginning, that he can't get anything done because there are too many Republicans in Congress to hold him back from pushing forth his evil socialist agenda? Just doesn't quite make sense. So ultimately, what it looks like is that Joe Biden probably did win this election. Now, look, I know there are other things. I know we're fighting over the Dominion the Dominion software that tallied the votes or whatever, and I haven't quite been following that as closely. There may be other fishy things there. I'm not saying that I know without a doubt that this election was free and above board. I am sure some people tried to cheat. I'm sure some people cheated. I'm sure that there were mail-in ballots that were sent in that didn't belong. But the point that I'm trying to make is from what I've said from the beginning that yes, there is probably always has been and always will be some voter fraud. But when you have... 150 million people voting in this country, it's going to be really hard to get by with that fraud on a level that's going to make a difference. Even a million votes is not going to change an election, which is one more reason, by the way, that you probably don't even need to bother voting because your vote doesn't count. You are literally one in a million in those cases. So uh, there's not a whole lot of sense in you investing yourself emotionally in that thing, but it's going to be hard to fake an election. I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm not saying somebody didn't you know, potentially hack the bigger system. But once more, the, the bigger you go, the harder it is to get by with it, the easier it's going to be to get caught and something 
is possibly going to happen. So where we are now is uh, obviously Donald Trump and a lot of his supporters have not accepted the results of the election. Donald Trump has not conceded to Joe Biden, even though Joe Biden and his team have, have continued forward with their transition to the presidency. And Donald Trump has filed several different lawsuits to get certain ballots thrown out, to get things... Oh, um, while I'm thinking about one of the other things I forgot is uh, you had some counties in, where was it? Somewhere up north, Wisconsin, Minnesota, one of those two places where you had more votes cast than you had registered voters. And what happened there was they were actually using the number of registered voters from 2018 at the last major election. And in that particular state, you're able to register to vote the same day. So as we talked about before, how every single corporation in the world, every time you get on Facebook, every time you get on Twitter, they're telling, reminding you to vote, reminding you to make your voice heard because they want to make sure that, you know, they can get as many Democrat votes as possible. And um, if you want to understand how that works, make sure you go back and listen to the last episode. But what that means is a lot of new people who have never voted before, a lot of young people who would be, you know, just turning 18 or 19 who weren't able to vote in the last election, they're going to be registering to vote. So it doesn't necessarily mean that there were more votes than registered voters. It means that there were more votes in 2020 than there were registered voters in 2018, which makes perfect sense when you step back and think about that. But uh, Donald Trump is now filing several lawsuits in several different states. Pennsylvania is one of them. I think Michigan's one of them. I can't remember about North Carolina and Georgia, but he is trying to file lawsuits to make sure that the right votes get counted. And in some places, he's telling them to stop counting. In other places, he's telling them to make sure that they count every ballot. You know, he's talking about you know, throwing these mail-in ballots out and all of this stuff. And it's just a big, big mess. And we're not quite sure what to think of it. So ultimately, what's going to happen, what that means is these kind of court cases if they're able to be heard, if there's enough evidence to bring them to court, what they'll do is they'll go to uh, local or state courts first, and then on appeal, they'll get sent up to the Supreme Court. Now, as you know, they're always going to get appealed because the losing side is always going to appeal. That's just the way that things work in our legal system. And then when it goes to the Supreme Court, we know that the conservatives have a majority in the Supreme Court. So if by some chance they're able to find enough evidence to send this to the Supreme Court, Donald Trump has a very good chance of getting a lot of those things overturned, winning those states, and taking the lead in the Electoral College. However, it looks pretty unlikely that that kind of thing is going to happen. Someone had a really good analogy, and uh, that was that catching election fraud is like catching your spouse in adultery. You can, you can have a hunch, you can have a feeling you can just know in your gut that you are right, but unless you catch it in the act, you're never going to know for sure. You're never going to be able to prove it. You're never going to be able to get anybody to believe you unless you get hard evidence. And the best way to get hard evidence in the case of these elections and these ballots is to catch them cheating in the act. And now we are three weeks past any possible acts. And with every day that passes, it becomes less and less likely that they're going to have anything that's going to be able to stand in court to prove beyond any reasonable doubt that the Democrats were cheating in this election. So you have these Republicans, you have a lot of these conservative figures saying, oh, we've got something big. Oh, this is going to be bad. Heads are going to roll. People's minds are going to be blown when they find out how corrupt this Democrat regime was. What I think they're doing there is I think they're just stalling. They're just holding, trying to get people to hold out while they try to scrape things together and hope that they can stumble across some sort of information, some sort of proof that's going to help their case, because if they had it, they would have come forward with it by now. 
This was the exact same thing. We saw the same thing happen on the opposite side of the aisle during this Donald Trump impeachment. When we were going all of this nonsense over this Ukraine call, the Democrats were telling us the same thing. Oh, it's going to be big. Oh, it's going to be bad. When we bring forth the things, no one's going to be able to believe how corrupt this president is, and no one is going to have any question as to whether or not we should impeach him and remove him from office. And instead, they had to make up one of the charges, this obstruction of Congress, to even justify bringing an impeachment to him. And then the Republican Senate laughed it off of the floor. And I think you're going to see the same thing when it comes to these lawsuits that Donald Trump is filing. Now, the power that the lawsuits have is that once you file a lawsuit, those headlines are going to hit the papers and you can't take those headlines back. That lawsuit may be thrown out of court. It's probably not going to go anywhere. It probably doesn't have any teeth. But his voters, people that support him, are always going to see that this election was challenged. That's going to be something that's very persuasive to his followers and his people. And that's going to be something that, that he can keep going back to as evidence, that he can say that he tried to stop it, that he tried to make it a point to point out their corruption, uh, but that the courts just wouldn't go along with him. And so uh, that's why you see a lot of these rich people pay off settlements so quickly is because they don't want that headline to hit the papers. They don't want public opinion to be changed just because someone brings a lawsuit to them. So it's much more beneficial for them to cut that off early and to make sure that it never hits the papers and it never sees the light of day and that they may pay off people uh, when even in fact they were innocent, but it's better for them just to keep their reputation clean than to have to explain away something they were accused of. And we see the same thing happening here as Donald Trump accuses the Democrats of cheating. Those headlines are going to stay. His followers are going to believe him no matter what. He told them before that this election was probably going to be fraudulent. They're going to believe him and they're going to stick with him. But it's probably not going to make a difference in the grand scheme of things. So that brings us to now. Joe Biden is moving forward as if he's going to be the president. Donald Trump is not conceding. There's been all kinds of panicking and freaking out about what happens if, if Donald Trump doesn't concede. Um, honestly, I don't think that that's anything we need to worry about. If we look at Donald Trump's past, Donald Trump always talks a big game. He always talks tough. But then when it comes time to actually do things, a lot of times he just doesn't act on it. And so I think that Donald Trump's doing the same thing here. He's not going to concede because it's going to make him look weak. But when it comes time to turn power over to Joe Biden on January 20th, assuming that you know nothing else big changes, nothing else is brought up, I really don't think it's going to. I think Joe Biden is going to be your next president. Donald Trump may even never concede. He may say this whole thing was rigged from the beginning. I did my best. I'm sorry. I quit. I'm leaving. I mean, I wish you all the best. Whatever it is. Uh, he may never concede, but I don't think you're going to have some sort of thing where he tries some sort of military coup or where he won't leave the Oval Office or you know any of those things that Democrats keep accusing him of. When we look back to every other time that he's threatened to use military force or threatened to use police for anything, usually it just doesn't happen. It's just a lot of talk. And he says something and his base is, is proud of him and excited for him because he said the right thing. And then he doesn't actually follow through with it because then the, the, the opposing side, the Democrats, don't have anything to use against him because he never actually did the thing that he said he was going to do. And I think that's something that we need to keep in mind as we move forward through this. That yes, uh, the news is going to freak out that he hasn't conceded. Uh, Twitter is going to freak out and keep putting those little correction boxes under everything that he tweets when he says that he's still the president and they're going to say that this information is disputed, blah, blah, blah. But... If we know anything about Donald Trump from watching him for the past four years in office, he's probably just going to leave quietly. And then he'll send some angry tweets about it afterward, but uh, he's, he's a yeller. He's not a fighter. And I think that that's what you're going to see as we move forward with this. So 
Uh, I guess last but not least, my final reason for thinking that this isn't going to be anything is that Rudy Giuliani has said that they have undeniable proof uh, that when you find out what he knows, uh, we're all going to overturn this whole election and, and Joe Biden's going to be in jail or something like that. And what I can say there is if Rudy Giuliani says it, uh, then I believe the opposite of it. And that's enough of a reason for me to turn back from that. So um, as we move forward into a Joe Biden, Kamala Harris presidency, what is that administration going to look like? What is what do we have to look forward to when it comes to those things? Well, I think that there are a few things that we have to look forward to. I mean, on the one hand, if Trump had won, you'd have more Republican power. You know, he would still be repealing some regulations and those kind of things would be good. You know, he says he's pro Second Amendment. He says he's pro life, you know, all those kind of things. But he hasn't really done anything to back it up. So, you know, there wasn't a lot to hope for there. But it, it also may have been nice to see uh, the corporate media and a lot of these hardcore progressives just melt down at the idea that Trump had won another election. Uh, in this terrible, evil, white supremacist country that we live in. But instead, we have Joe Biden, and Joe Biden is going to be president. And as I said earlier, as a lot of the listeners of the show, a lot of this audience comes more from the right, what do we have to look forward to in that? Well, there's a couple of things. I think, first of all, I think it is very possible, we don't know for sure, this whole COVID thing has been absolutely crazy, but I think that it's possible that you may see a lot of the the talk and a lot of the panic over the coronavirus start to dwindle and start to disappear a little bit under a Joe Biden presidency. As we know, uh, the media pushes a lot of these narratives, and I think that there's going to be some motivation for the media to imply that whatever Joe Biden is doing to try to lead us through the coronavirus pandemic, that that thing is working and that all we needed was to get the bad orange man out of office so that we could get an adult in charge and that this adult could take care of things. And I think that they are going to be motivated to try to show that Joe Biden is fixing this. And fortunately, as a byproduct of that, um, whether it's being fixed or not, whether anything's changing, as the fear level and the tension level goes down, then uh, the lockdowns and that kind of thing will be let up a little bit. And I think that we could see light at the end of the tunnel because of just them having their guy that they're cheering for in charge, uh, that, that by cheering for him and by trying to, to portray him in a positive light, uh, you may be able to kind of let down some of the tension behind this coronavirus stuff. Um, now, the a lot of the things that people have argued back against this was, look, this is a worldwide pandemic. This is not just about the American election. This is a very short-sighted and narrow-minded of you to think that what's going on in America in one election could be breaking things down around the whole world and causing lockdowns and causing economic devastation all over the whole world. And um, it would be silly and selfish of you just to say that that's just about America. Well, here's the deal. America is a world power. America is a giant world power. We have the most used currency in the world. We have the most powerful military in the world several times over. We have uh, military bases on 80 of the different of these countries. Um, if you want to travel, if you want to deal with a lot of these other countries, you've got to go through the U.S. to do it. You've got to get the U.S.'s blessing in order to pull those kind of things off. And so, while you may say, yes, the United States is just one country, while things are just as bad in plenty of other countries with the coronavirus and that kind of thing, I do think we have a lot of influence over them. And I do think that the corporate media in the way that they, they portray these things, um, there is going to be extra focus on America because America is 
a world leader and a world power, whether you like it or not. And even if they don't like what America's doing, everyone's going to see what America's doing. And uh, the media is also going to be looking to exercise their influence to make America look good with uh, the leader that they have chosen to have in charge during that time. So I do think it's possible. Um, I think that these lockdowns are losing their power. I really do. And that's one of the other things that's going to be good about a Joe Biden presidency is the absolute worst thing about the Republicans is when you get another Republican in office, they just become cowards and weak and they roll over on everything. Gun control is always passed under Republican administration. Barack Obama, for all the people saying he wanted to take your guns, for all the people saying that he was going to take away, you know, every weapon and all this stuff and you wouldn't be able to protect yourself, he didn't get anything done. Donald Trump's the one who banned bump stocks. Donald Trump is the one who said, uh, you know, I would prefer to take the guns first and do due process second. Donald Trump's the one who said that. And then all of the conservatives and all of these pro-Second Amendment people, when Donald Trump says something like that, the only thing they can say is, well, Hillary would be worse. Well, Joe Biden would be worse. But when they have opposition in office, that's when they dig their heels in and they say, we're not going to move an inch. Barack Obama is not going to take our guns. Joe Biden is not going to take our guns. They are not going to tell us what to do. These are our rights and we are not giving them up. And so I think that you're going to see a much better group of conservatives and and possibly a better Republican Party at the lower levels when you've got Democrats in power in office. And and as that translates to the lockdowns, Joe Biden is talking about this national mask mandate, this national lockdown that he's talking about doing. And as it stands right now, there has been no national mandate. So all of these things are happening on a state-by-state level. But I think what you're going to see in a lot of the more hardcore Republican states uh, what's the, the, the governor in, oh geez, North Dakota, South Dakota, um, that's, you know, gone and got against a lot of these masks mandates and lockdowns from the beginning that they've been frustrated with her, those kind of people and the people in those States, you're going to see them push back against a mandate that comes from someone in the opposite party. And I think that that's going to be a good thing as well, because when people refuse to comply, these lockdowns are, are going to lose their power. And I think you're starting to see that already that they're hesitant to lock everything down again because they don't know how people are going to react. They caught everybody off guard. They got everybody scared. We didn't know what was going on the first time, but now that we've seen it, there is a set narrative and there is a definite set of beliefs for people on both sides of the issue, but you're, you're still looking at, you know, kind of a 50-50 split of people who take this virus seriously and people who just don't think it's such a big deal. So you're going to see Republicans pushing back on a lot of those you know, national mandates, whether it be guns, whether it be lockdowns, whatever other kind of things it's going to be. Uh, You're going to see the Republicans who, you know, I think Donald Trump's added like $8 trillion to the national debt or something like that. You're going to see Republicans magically get fiscally conservative again, and they're going to push back against spending measures again. That could be a good thing. But probably the worst thing out of all of this, the scariest thing out of all of this is that we all know that Joe Biden's getting up there in years and he is not going to last long. And we've already heard these uh, kind of Freudian slips about Kamala Harris referring to herself as president, of Joe Biden referring to Kamala Harris as president. And what if she takes over? How bad is it going to be when we do get Madam President Kamala Harris in office? taking over as she's already talked about the gun bans that she wants to do. And a lot of the, the, the social restructuring that she wants to do and the financial restructuring that she wants to do. How bad is it going to be when she's in office? Because we've heard plenty of people say that Joe Biden is not going to be around for any amount of time and that he may miraculously step down for health reasons 
two months into his term. Well, I'm here to tell you, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think you have to worry about Kamala Harris being your president. See, people tend to think that everybody in the other group is all the same. And you, you understand the differences in people that are more to your group. You know, if you look more to the conservative side of things and you look at, um, you know, you've got your libertarians and you've got your Tea Party people and you've got your, um, you know, your Republicans, you know, your, your party Republicans. And then you've got some constitutionalists and every kind of different kind of thing that people can be differentiated by. And even if you look at, um, at anarchists, you know, are you an anarcho-capitalist? Are you an anarcho-primitivist? Uh, what, you know, there's a million different divisions. Are you Misesian? Are you Hoppian? You know, all of these kind of different distinctions that you can make within your own group to say, yes, you know, we're all part of a bigger, broader group, but these are the way that I identify with myself. And there are a lot of people who may be on the same side of the fence as me that I don't agree with much on at all. I tend to refer to myself as a libertarian, but you just heard me quote Chris Spangle several times. And when we talked about anything other than elections, I probably wouldn't agree with Chris Spangle on much at all. But we tend to think coming from the right that all Democrats are the same and that it's all the Democrat party and they're all trying to take over. But it's important to remember that they have just as many differences and distinctions as the rest of us do. And so when you're looking at the people that make the news, your Bernie Sanders, your Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, your Ayanna Presley, and your Ilhan Omar, the hardcore radical progressives are the ones that get a lot of the news space. And they're the ones that want to break everything down, and they're the ones that want to reorganize everything. And Kamala Harris falls more to that side. But then you look at the people who are really in power, the people with the money, the people calling the shots, your Hillary Clintons, your Joe Bidens, your Nancy Pelosi's. Those people aren't nearly as progressive. Those people, as much as they pretend to hate corporations and that kind of thing, that's the party of big banks. How much money was Hillary Clinton making to give speeches at Goldman Sachs? You know, that was one of the big things that was held against her during the 2016 campaign. And that would typically be something that you would probably be more likely to accuse the Republicans of. And so I want to remind you that that divide on the left is a lot bigger than people on the right may think that it is. And just the same way that when Donald Trump was appearing to run away with the Republican nomination in 2016... And they knew that evangelicals were a big part of their base and that they were going to have to win them over and that it was going to be tough because Donald Trump was this millionaire who dated porn stars and cheated on his wife and had been married and divorced several times. What did they do? They brought in calm, boring, conservative Christian Mike Pence. And suddenly, all those evangelicals who weren't so sure about this Scrooge McDuck who dated Stormy Daniels... um, Suddenly they said, well, I hope Mike Pence has a good influence on Donald Trump. Hey, what if, if something were to happen to Donald Trump, if he were to get impeached or step down or something, you know, what happened to his health? Well, then we would have our, our Christian Mike Pence in office. And just like that, evangelicals were pulled in and they became Trump supporters. And as you've heard me mention before in the Antifa and Black Lives Matter episode, once you bring yourself into that group and you start supporting those people, you really become part of the group and start to think a lot more like the group. So those people who weren't so sure about Trump in 2016, in 2019, 2020, they're probably hardcore Trump fans and they're probably rooting for him all the way. And in the same way, one of the things that happened when the Democratic Party screwed over Bernie Sanders back in 2016 is they upset a lot of their hardcore progressive voters. And those people didn't turn out to vote for Hillary. 
And then on Super Tuesday, when they screwed over Bernie Sanders again for the Democratic nomination, they had to make sure that they could bring those voters with them, that they wouldn't get mad and stay home this November, but that they would have someone else to cheer for. So they bring in somebody like Kamala Harris, who is pretty progressive, but that they can spruce up a little bit and make her look a little bit more centrist to fit their bill and to fit their ticket. And so when it comes to a lot of the the talk about Kamala Harris taking over, when it comes to them accidentally calling her the next president and these kind of things, I think that what they're doing is not some sort of Freudian slip, but that it is a combination of, of trying to troll the right because they knew that so many of them hated Kamala Harris. Admittedly, I'm not a fan of hers either. But also at the same time to give those progressives, give those democratic socialists a little bit of hope that maybe they're not voting for boring, big bank, old white guy, Joe Biden, but that they're voting for Kamala Harris, that they're voting for one of their own. And I would argue that if the Democratic Party did not think that Joe Biden could not get through a four-year term, maybe eight years, then they wouldn't have put him up there. Or they would have chosen a more centrist vice president to take over for him. I've said before, they're well-organized, they're well-planned, they know what they're doing. They use their power very efficiently. And I do not think that Kamala Harris is one of them. I do not think that they trust her yet, and that maybe over the course of this presidency, they can groom her for that, and, and she can win them over a little bit better. But right now, I do not think they want her to be president. And yes, Joe Biden is old. But if you look into JFK, JFK was the youngest president ever elected. He was probably also the most unhealthy president we've ever had. He had debilitating back pain. He couldn't hardly walk. There were times it hurt him to stand. And so what did they do? They kept him pumped up on amphetamines pretty much all the time. And so if they can pump a crippled JFK full of amphetamines, I promise you, they can give Sleepy Joe enough caffeine and enough cigarettes or coffee or whatever it is he needs to keep pushing him through the day that they can keep him on two feet for as long as they need to keep him up there. Uh, So it looks like I'm running out of time. I've gone for a while, but I did just want to kind of get those things out and just talk about those things a little bit. Yes, there are concerns that our election is fraudulent. Yes, there are concerns that Kamala Harris is going to be the next president. And I just want to step in and say, let's pump the brakes on that a little bit. Let's wait for a little bit more information. But I think at this time, looking at the incentives, looking at how things pan out, looking at the real picture of these things, I don't think we have as much reason to freak out. And I don't think we have as much reason to be concerned. And instead, we move forward into this not putting our hope in the president, not putting our hope in one particular party or the other in one in the in the security of a, some election. But instead that we focus on our own rights and our own goals and our own philosophy and that we keep winning in that way. Cuz like I've said before, I guess I'll pull a Michael Malice quote here. We are winning. We will win all is well, no matter what happens with this election or with Madam Vice President. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Uh, You know where to find me. I'm on twitter.com slash Garrett again, facebook.com slash Garrett again. Just started a MeWe account. My name is Garrett space again. Uh, As always, Garrett just has one R in it. You can email me at Garrett again at pm.me. 
and just send me questions. Let me know what you want to talk about, and I will do my best to get those episodes out. I, again, I have that one episode with trust busting in the can that I need to make sure that I get that out soon as well. But thank you for listening. Make sure you subscribe. And until the next time, stay kind, stay vigilant, stay free. Get out of here.